what's up? It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I am here at the Kintech studio at Sportsnet 650 HQ in Vancouver. Drancer is on the road in sunny Tampa, sunny Florida. And Drancer, I know Rick Talkett earlier this week was kind of joking, oh, it'd be better to do the Florida trip maybe in January, a little later in the year. But uh, you guys are missing some some classic Vancouver torrential rain today. So you're you're in the right place. This was actually well-timed, it turned out, to go to t- Florida. The old atmospheric river. No, yes. it's, uh, it's beautiful out here. 28 degrees. Um, not that I've enjoyed any of it, Jamie. You know, life of a beat writer on the road. Um, filed at about 11.30 last night. Woke up at 4.00 on a flight by 6 a.m. and then get back right to the practice facility, transcribe for three hours, do practice, and then negotiate at the front desk to get early check-in so that I had a room to do our show. I sat down here about five minutes ago. So I made it by the skin of my teeth just to give uh, our listeners a sense of how the sausage gets made, Um, a a sense of just how guerrilla radio talk can be. Well, and I'm hoping your internet connection holds up because uh, it's a big day for us, as always, on Wednesdays. We're doing the crossover with Donnie and Dolly. So, you know, because normally we're such a, a technically sound operation here, we decided to add an additional layer of difficulty to it with you in a remote location on the road. So uh, we'll try to do, you know, I don't know, we'll patch everyone through. We'll get it worked out. Uh, big day for us, though, because, you know, not just Donnie and Dolly, but also Satyar Shah uh, going to join us. Some of the most Ooh. popular members of the Vancouver sports media uh, and also us on the show today. So big day for us <laughs> and uh, lots to get yeah, into. No, it, yeah. Lots to get into. No, obviously. I mean, it'll be great. No, it'll be fantastic. It's yeah. uh, you and Sat can get into it. And uh, I mean, obviously it'll be chaos as it always is with Donnie and Dolly. Um, but before we get to Donnie and Dolly, we got to start obviously with the two nothing ugly loss for the Canucks, their first loss of the year in Philadelphia last night, Drance. You were there, and it's been fascinating to watch the mood and the vibes, at least from the fans, I won't speak to the team, and internally, although we heard from Rick Tockett last night, how quickly the mood and the vibes established in the first two games can evaporate and disappear and change after a performance like that against the Flyers. Tockett's commentary was amazing. Um, I thought it seemed a little discordant with what the players had to say, right? The lack of panic in the dressing room and not that talk it was panicky, but you know, he addressed it today, right? That it's not panic. It's just that you have to address a performance like that head on. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have the meeting, you have to do the work, you have to be accountable for just how unacceptable that effort is so that you're not doing the meeting again, 50 games into the season. That was his message today. And look, he was right. Like that was a really ghastly outing. I mean, lose right it's another thing to waste a performance like that from thatcher demko and it's another thing to get absolutely waxed by a rebuilding flyers team i mean they got waxed there was nothing good about their game other than thatcher demko and if you're the only thing good about your game is thatcher demko and you still lose well there's not a lot to hang your hat on no so you know i I loved it i loved 
TikTok it just leveling with the media, with this market about what had transpired, about just how far below you know any acceptable standard Vancouver's outing was against Philly. And and by the way, I want to note like I don't I don't accept that there were commonalities. Uh, aside from a ghastly second period and a ton of undisciplined penalties between what we saw in Philadelphia and the win in Edmonton. Like, at least against Edmonton, regardless of the run of play and and how outdueled the Canucks were territorially, they played smart. They played smart. Like, that that to me, more than anything else, like, there were four checking shifts where the Canucks had multiple bodies below the goal line. Uh, And then, obviously, the Flyers come back back with a Rush. I mean, that's not surprising. That's just how it works when you screw up your forecheck that badly. Um, you know, there was the the Flyers get the second goal and the JT Miller shift comes out and they win like four consecutive battles and Philip Peronic sends a harmless, you know, 30-footer at Carter Hart and just, you know, it's easy freeze, mm. momentum gone. Like no, no opportunity. Just put it down low. Win like six consecutive battles. Give your team something to build off of. Uh, and it was just a constant onslaught of plays like that. You know, I, I saw a lot of chatter picking on the performance of Tyler Myers, who wasn't good, and Noah Juleson, who also wasn't good, but I, I don't think was nearly as disastrous as, as fans are making it out to be. And for me, you know, we, we keep doing this thing in this market where we blame guys who should be third or eighth defenseman, seventh, eighth defenseman, and sort of ignore just how bad the players that Canucks fans don't want to believe perform that poorly were last night. And, you know, I mean, I'll even grant like a slight mulligan to the Miller line, which I thought brought it for the most part, even though it didn't matter, but mm-hmm. almost everyone else, you know, it was just an onslaught of, of like low IQ plays. This team's better than that. They are. And, you know, I, I think it was important that the coach remind. Well, and I think the key thing with the commentary from Tockett, because I know, you know, Jeff Merrick was on with Halford and Bruff this morning and on his show later on kind of questioning, like, is it too early in the season to be that harsh on the players? Like, how many times can you play that card? But, you know, I know Halford made a good point as well. Like, I don't think what Tockett was saying was just about that game last night. Right. I think there's a through line between even going back to the preseason. He was talking about the team not competing hard enough, not winning enough battles. Right. And I and I really think even going beyond Tockett, I think the reason he reacted so strongly to the game and the effort last night, I think the reason fans have reacted so strongly against it is that everything the Canucks organization has done from top to bottom, really since bringing in Rick Tockett to replace Boudreaux, going to, you know, sign Ian Cole, Carson Soucy, Teddy Bluger, et cetera, et cetera. Everything they've done has been about eliminating games like last night, right? Like that's been the goal of this franchise is we have to cut that out. We cannot have performances like that because it sends us into a spiral and then we can't recover from it. Talkit has been hammering. This is not new. When he's talking about we're not competing, we're not winning puck battles, it's not remotely new for him, right? That is something he has absolutely hammered on. So when it's not just a one-off, right? It's not just, oh, hey, you you, you laid an egg in game three of the season it's no the same issues we have been laser focused on trying to cut out of our game are cropping up again I think that's why it was such a strong reaction from talking it's it's different than it's just happening to a, a, another team because this has been such a focal point and such a talking point for this team well and it's also consistent with some of the problems we've seen this team have over the course of the past three four years exactly you know, this is this is the team that when 
the good thing happens when they get to the point where if in a game you're really cooking with, you know, gas, that's when they fall flat. And they fall flat in a predictable way where they get completely outworked by, you know, a team they absolutely should beat. Um, you know, it, at this point, it's like Schrodinger's hockey team. You know, we, we look at it and they're both a good team and a bad team all at once. And, and you kind of don't know which one you look in the box until you are actually watching them play. But, but it comes back to... If you want to be a team with competitive edge, if you want to be a team that describes yourself as quote unquote resilient, mm. a, a word that I hesitate to spit out because it feels terrible and it's bad mouthfeel, bad mouthfeel <laughs> to that word. Um, <laughs> no, if you want to be that team, you have to be it consistently. You know, it, it, it does. No one cares if you can sink a three pointer once out of 100 times like what you have to be able to do is hit it 80 out of 100 times uncovered the way Steph Curry can if you're if you're going to be like I'm a great three-point shooter you know uh, that's it it has to be repeatable it has to be consistent it has to be habitual and you know to come out and have a couple encouraging games where the team competed really hard and then follow it up with that you know I, I talk use the word back to the drawing board with some guys and I think that's dead on like this can't be your identity as a team that you don't know what you're going to get night to night um, continues, then this team's going to underperform again because on talent. Uh, and, and I still think over on balance, this is an encouraging start overall, despite what we saw last night, despite what we saw on, uh, on occasion in Edmonton, you know, if that's going to be their identity, it's not going to be good enough. We all know it. It's Canucks Talk here, Sportsnet 650. As we do every Wednesday, time to welcome in Don Taylor, Rick Dollywall. From Donnie and Dolly, you can watch them Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to noon on Check TV. They join us here every Wednesday. Uh, lots to get into, guys. I mean, we'll start with the results in Philly. And uh, Donnie, I'll throw it to you first. I mean, our Canucks fans, I saw you guys ran the poll. Was Rick Talkett too harsh? And I think it was about 95% no. <laughs> he was not yeah. too yes. harsh. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think Canucks fans are, are right to be as concerned as they seem to be about that performance last night? Well, I think so because it, it, it I, for me, and I think for Rick Tockett as well, given the practice a, a couple of days ago in Philadelphia, which seemed a little more uh, harsh or hard than, than you would normally have on the road, I think he was concerned after the Edmonton game. Mm-hmm. And they got outshot badly in that game. Uh, Casey DeSmith uh, play, played really uh, well. But uh, that was, that was you know, an outstanding effort compared to what we saw uh, last night. Again, they get outshot badly, what? 22 to three in the second period as a, as a matter of fact. So yeah, I could see why the head coach and a lot of fans were upset with that uh, effort last night, especially after, you know, coming out of the gate, no matter what you think of that game in Edmonton coming out of the gate two and Yeah, Donnie, we talked about this guy's uh, way too many passengers last night mm-hmm. and everything this coach stands for is what the Canucks were the opposite last night, you know, and they looked a lot like last year guys. My biggest uh, concern is uh, talk it too many times sounds like Boudreaux and it sounds like Green like the, all three of these coaches are saying the same thing and we've been kind of in this you know Green Boudreaux talk it situation for now two to three years and he's saying a lot of the things you know the puck battles the effort wasn't there the turnovers too many odd man rushes it, it's a lot of the same stuff talk it is saying is what Boudreaux and Green said and that 
is a big concern for me. Well, and, you know, it, it is a lot of the same things, Rick, but the interesting thing I think as we've talked is he's even more direct. Like, we're three games into the season, and he's kind of yeah. almost, you know, dancing around calling the team soft, and I think I saw some people, you know, mm. not necessarily in the market wondering, like, oh, wow, is this is this a little early to be going this hard? But I think, as you point out, Rick, it's not like this was one game. This is three years now of hearing very similar things yeah. about this team, and I can imagine for Tockett, yeah. you know, he comes in last year with the idea of, okay, you get these games to start putting your print on the team it must be incredibly frustrating for him to just see it continue to crop up like it did last night well the key now guys is how do they respond in tampa bay right you know how do they respond and you guys and and donnie and i talked about the third period and some guys getting sat last night uh you guys look at anthony uh right two shifts in the third like what's going on this guy's got zeros across the board this year you know 4.1 million he's a ufa you know like i i I expected more uh from him guys you know if if uh what's his name's in the lineup tomorrow uh mckayev like we think he might be uh thomas i saw your lineup he was on the fourth line with stadnika hoglander i mean who do you take out uh, tomorrow night in tampa bay i I think it's between uh stadnika and bolivier who do you keep in? I feel like that's the bigger question after yeah. last night. Hey, gentlemen, mm-hmm. I want to ask you something because I was in the room after the game last night, chatted with Ian Cole, chatted with JT Miller, chatted with Quinn Hughes. Uh, Thatcher Demko spoke as well. And what was interesting about it anyway was that the players have very discordant message. No panic. Confident that this isn't like mm-hmm. last year and we'll get it yes. on track. Um, hopeful. Hopeful to see, you know, how we respond against Tampa Bay. And then we talk to talk it and talk it says what um, does it concern you at all that it was the coach who, at least in public, what was most upset was what it like still appears to be the standard bearer for, for, you know, this team as opposed to it coming internally. Does that concern you at all? Yeah, a lot of times you'll see it the other way around. With you know the the coaches right. got to worry mm. about how you know twenty players are going to react to him. Usually it's the players, especially the captain and the veterans, or whatever the case may be. They're the ones that are going to criticize themselves. But it was the coach uh, last night. We didn't run this clip today on the show. We probably should have. Maybe you guys did. But you're right, Thomas. Ta- uh, uh, Quinn Hughes after the game saying we were never really worried. We thought we were we were going to get a goal. We have confidence in ourselves. We wouldn't know by the way they played. And then the contrast that to what talk it had to say it was pretty surprising I, I if i can mention this too i wonder guys what rutherford and alvine thought about rick Tockett using the word soft and yeah. you know he didn't use the word soft but he did use the yeah. word soft right he said he didn't want to use it but but he he used it i wonder what they thought of it because you know if a player is considered soft he's probably not going to change the way the way he plays so to me that was almost the criticism of the construction of the roster and i know they haven't been here all that long, but I would just wonder what they th- they thought of it. And I think a lot of people felt the same way watching that game. Uh, they once again looked looked too soft, and uh, I, I wonder if they they would take that as a as, as a criticism. Maybe it's just me. I'm not sure. Well, Donnie, I would go back. Well, the, to- the word soft. Uh- Go ahead. I was going to say, I'd go back to Jim Rutherford's press conference at the beginning of the year, and he didn't make it sound like this was a finished product, right? He's saying, you know, every, we need everything to go right. right to make the playoffs. There's still a couple big contracts we'd like to move out. 
So I wonder if this matches a little bit of what the management group still thinks of, of the roster. And I also, yeah. do you bring in Rick Tockett unless you're comfortable with him being Rick Tockett, right? Like being up front and, you know, being willing to challenge his team in this way. So I, I, I wonder if it's, I, I don't know if it's a shot at the roster construction or maybe there's a little, there is alignment between management mm. and the coaches on this. Well, guys, uh, you brought up roster construction, so let's get into the trade yesterday, uh, Thomas. Uh, Jack Rathbone is gone. Uh, Friedman, Mark Friedman is in. You uh, reported he's uh, wearing number 51, Troy Stetcher's old uh, 51 at practice today in Tampa Bay. Uh, Your thoughts on that trade, Thomas? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting one. I mean, Friedman is way more likely to give the Canucks NHL games than Jack Rathbone, who I think might as well have been on the moon in terms of this organization's plans. You know, like if you yeah. were to if you were to handicap which player between Friedman and Stetcher is more likely is more likely to ultimately play 50 Fre- more games Friedman in the and NHL Rathbone in their career. Answer. Sorry, not, not Stetcher. Friedman and Rathbone. Uh, Rick has me on the Stetcher bandwagon. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, if you, obviously it's Friedman, right? But by a fair bit. But if you ask me, you know, just based on age, based on the fact that Rathbone has this, you know, d- development that's sort of been stalled somewhat by factors outside his control. I mean, his defensive game hasn't evolved the way you would have hoped, but you know, there's been a lot of injuries, stretchered off the ice, illnesses, the the taxi squad year where he where he missed a full year of development. Yeah. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's made a sort of point here of placing bets on players who profile, whether it's John Ludwig, who they claimed off of waivers, Jack Rathbone now, who they've acquired in a trade, to sort of volume bet on defenders whose development has been interfered with for reason and who still have some runway to to maybe be impactful. You know, Friedman has the higher floor, but Rathbone has the higher ceiling. The way it's sort of consistent, both with what Pittsburgh's doing, which is sort of placing a bunch of bets hoping to get an impact guy, and what the Canucks are doing, which is, you know, trading off future upside in exchange for some short-term certainty. And and look, I'm okay so long as the team delivers on it. Right, like if you're if you're trading long term upside for short term certainty, that certainty better work. Like that certainty better make you competitive now. You know, it's just another one of those deals that even though it's minor, I think speaks volumes about the priorities of the two teams involved, and sort of as a corollary to that, subtly turns up the stakes. I think for me anyway, about what this team should achieve, should needs to achieve over the course of this season. Thomas, if what do you guys think do of that? this hit with uh, Rick and I, uh, well, corollary, I mean, come on. I mean, we're, it's out of our league, you know. you you, you got to dumb it down a, a, a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you had to say. It's, it's I, I, yeah. Look, I'm a draft guy. I want to see. I want to see a Stanley Cup. I want to see them, you know, grab, you know, uh, stuff for the future, for lack of a better phrase. I don't care about making the playoffs. I care about them winning a Stanley Cup. And you do that, in my opinion, uh, you know, factually, actually, through through draft picks, and they don't. So that that deal speaks to the exact thing that I don't want, and a lot of people that don't want. I, you know, now I guess you know you, you want a player that's going to perform well for you now or, you know, fill a hole for now, I guess that, that that's okay. And I'm not saying Jack Rathbone is the answer, but it's what that trade as a whole says. It's a type of trade that people like me don't like. 
And, and Thomas, I, I do want to say this. Uh, you know, uh, I think in the summer, uh, the Canucks and Rathbone's agent kind of, uh, you know, made a decision yeah. that, you know, it's time to move on. And yeah, and, and Rathbone's agent, Jerome Buckley, was given permission uh, from the Canucks to help facilitate that trade. So uh, the Canucks are going to set a record for uh, a lot. Who calls him Jerome? Everyone else calls it's him Jerry. Jerome Buckley. I call him Jerome. <laughs> what do you mean, everybody else? That's a good anyway. pal of mine. But, uh, I call him Jerome. What's wrong with Jerome? Maybe that's why he hangs up on you all the time. <laughs> no, he's a good pal of mine. I've known him for years. Don't tell me what to call my friends, Thomas. Uh, my bad, my bad, Rick. Who's, hey, um, who's a better guy, wanted, him or Peter I wanna, Cooney? I want to share an anecdote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to share an anecdote from practice about Friedman, though. Well, one thing about Friedman what? is he draws a lot of penalties, which is pretty rare for, like, the physical offensive defender, right? So he draws a lot of penalties. So I asked him about it. I was like, you know, that's not something common out of uh, out of the depth, physical, defense-first defenseman. Like, what have you done to master the uh, dark art? And he responded with a laugh, I watch a lot of soccer. <laughs> oh. That's a good one. Ripping soccer <laughs> now, eh? Good line. Um, Rick, well, I want... It means he might embellish. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Dolph. Rick, Jamie. I wanted to ask you, look, you know, they make the Friedman trade. That's a bottom of the lineup addition. I think he could be good there, but again, bottom of the lineup. We can see it. You know, I know everyone's talking about Tyler Myers last night. I don't want to pin the whole thing on him, but I think we can all agree you don't want him in your top four. We know they're working on a Garland uh, deal potentially to bring in a defenseman. Do you think the performance they're getting from the blue line from Tyler Myers and Noah Juleson specifically, does that increase the pressure or, or speed up the timeline maybe that they want to go and do something? Something here. Well, you keep hearing that they're in on Ethan Bear, and there's a reason why, right? Uh, you know, they get Friedman. He might take Juleson's spot. Uh, they still are in on Ethan Bear. Uh, I, I got that even after the Friedman trade. They, they still have interest. Uh, guys, um, you know, Ethan Bear's agent told me he's probably not going to sign until next month, but uh, the Canucks are still in the mix. They're in the mix. Yeah, he, he sorry, but he complimented, Tuckett complimented yeah. uh, uh, Myers uh, the day before yesterday's uh, game. Yeah, he did. Uh, so that was, I thought, uh, really interesting. And as for uh, Juleson, um, I not the greatest start for him. And I know a lot of us liked him with uh, Quinn Hughes uh, last year. You included uh, Thomas, but you know, he's, he's not playing with them uh, right now. But I wonder what the Canucks would talk the thought of, hey, great, old school, backing up your teammate uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, talking about Di Giuseppe. They were about to go on a power play. He stands up for him, and then they don't get the, the power play. I wonder, what he, I wonder what he thought of that, among other yeah. things, with Juleson. Can I ask you guys one more question, by the way? I'm curious to get your reaction to this because I'm still working through what it means. But I thought it was pretty interesting that despite some harsh commentary about his club's performance last night, the Canucks show up at practice and aside from Pedersen, no lineup changes, right? Even like Friedman was the extra. Juleson was still the, the first guy through on the third pair no lineup changes whatsoever do you guys read that as a coach who's challenged his group and feels the need to give them a chance to respond before installing consequences or um is it disappointing to you to see the canucks sort of roll with the same group that authored whatever we saw in philadelphia last night 
Well, it, it might, except that what we saw in Philadelphia last night is that he he eventually put his lines in a blender. So yeah. what he did in the game last night and what he might do uh, against Tampa Bay versus practice today, you know, uh, different things. Uh, I don't know if I read that much into it. He might want um, uh, maybe one more practice, Thomas, with Friedman before he puts him in, you know. And today was just a, you know, maybe he might want to say, hey, we, to implement the systems, maybe one more practice before we put him in, right? But it, look at the salary cap situation, Thomas. You, you wrote an article on it. They don't have a ton of extra bodies right now, right? You know, they sent Hiroshi down today. So it's also uh, the cap situation, the amount of bodies you got left, all that thing plays into it. You know, uh, hey, can I get this in on Gar- uh, Garland? Uh, they continue to. Uh, um, I'm not hearing. I know there's some tweets out there that Garland traction trade's going to happen. I'm not hearing anything as close right now, and I'm going to. I always have to say right now, but uh, his uh, agent Judd Muldaver, uh, he's working the phones pretty feverishly, guys. And you know, he, uh, but I'm not hearing anything as close right now. But they are starting to get more teams involved, and you know, more teams involved is a good thing. Yeah, in a world where 14 teams can't even call up one guy, pretty hard to move a $5 million deal. All right, fellas, we're going to let you go. Oh, go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. Okay, go. I know. I mean, you're getting off work, so maybe you don't want to say it, but go ahead. No, I got uh, yeah. I got to get to my car. Yeah. Listen, the teams want the Canucks <laughs> to pick up. <laughs> teams want the Canucks to pick up uh, at least one point five million. One team asked for one nine, and the Canucks said no. So they're gonna have to bite uh, bite the bullet on this thing, guys. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks as always, guys. Have a great week. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, guys. That is uh, Donnie and Dolly. Don Taylor, Rick Dollywall. Of course, you can watch them every day, 10 to noon on Check TV. And they join us every day, uh, or every day, every week here on Wednesdays for the crossover. We wish. With Canucks Talk, indeed. I don't know. That might be a little too much. <laughs> might be a little too chaotic uh, if we had them can on. Can never have a much. Can never, no, can never have a much. Can never have too much, Rick Dollywall. Uh, do you think it's catching up to me that I've slept like five hours probably <laughs> i feel okay. i, I feel enough. like we've uh, we've learned a lot about how important sleep is for the human body and you're you're, you're challenging that <laughs> that research this week trans uh we'll take a break uh we will come back lots more to get into with the result last night uh what drancer saw at practice down in tampa today a reminder at one o'clock our guy satyar shaw will join us here so lots coming up you can keep, keep your text coming into 650 650 it is canuck stock here uh on sportsnet 650 Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Tom, uh, Drancer, I think we, we've got you on a more solid connection now uh, going forward. We had you on video for the crossover of Donnie and Dolly because uh, we like doing that and the, they can see you and all that. But uh, I think we've got you back to a, a more stable setup now, I hope. What was uh, was I echoing? No, it was like cutting out like you're like it like with as if you're trying to buffer something or stream something with like shoddy Internet. That's what it yeah, was. Fair yeah, fair enough. But I mean, well, whatever. I, it was it was fine ish. As if 
as if we were trying to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is exactly what we were trying to do. Uh, you know, I was sh- actually yep. shocked at how on the rails that edition of the crossover uh, was for the first time in the segments uh, in the segments history. So hopefully we get back to the the greater degree it's of chaos. We're not together, man. That's a hundred percent what it is. It seems like Donnie and me, or sorry, Dolly and me, bring the chaos. But in fact, it's you and I together. Yes, that are, that are the uh, Tyler Myers of the crossover. <laughs> we need to be able to communicate and 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 set up and pounce on those chaotic moments uh, when they come, and we were unable to do that. So I want. To, there's a couple things I want to talk about. What do you want to do first? I, I want to do. I want to talk about Tyler Myers. Yes, for sure. And, and I want to. And I'll do. You know. Notes from practice, color from practice. What you want to do? Let's first? start with Tyler Myers because I think that is at the top of mind for a lot of Canucks fans um, who watched last night's game and are texting in right now. Like our inbox right now is just yeah. full with with anger, angry texts about Tyler Myers. So I want to note in saying this, like Tyler Myers is not my favorite type of defenseman, but I also think. Like, what year are we in of all of the Canucks' problems being blamed on a defender who we all know would play third-pair minutes on a good team or be seventh-eighth defenseman, you know, if ideally slotted? Like, how many years in a row, as this team struggles, are we going to suggest that it's depth guys who, who need to improve as opposed to the overall infrastructure of the team? Like, that, this, to me, gets to the crux of, of why I can't buy in fully like I'm not saying Tyler Myers played well last night I don't think he did like I thought that the penalties in particular uh were unfortunate um you know his work on the goals against whatever to me that that's that's you know the the team was failing on so many different levels that I think isolating it to like Juleson screening the goalie despite there not being any Flyers players down low like yeah you know not a great moment mm-hmm. um but but also fundamentally not the reason they lost. You know, like Tyler Myers, not the reason they lost last night. Like there were so many invisible players who this team needs to be difference makers. Right? Like, I thought Philip Rune had a really poor game. I thought uh, Andre Kuzmenko. I can't even remember a moment where he did something cool in the game. How how often do we say that? Yeah. How often do you come out of a game being like, and there's nothing Kuzmenko did that was cool? Like very very rarely. Um, but. But that's what happened last night. So, you know, I, I feel like this market in particular, and we talked about it a little bit yesterday, right? Like the depth defender should be slid lower in the lineup, often becomes the, the target of fan ire when the team struggles. But just look at the last decade of Canucks history. Look at all of the guys that this market has slayed or blamed or had no time for who've gone on to play big roles for teams that either, you know, have success or they play well. Um Often, like, deep in the playoffs, you know, you think about Travis Boyd, uh, successful in Toronto, terrible in Vancouver, successful again in Arizona. Jimmy Vesey playing, like, big minutes on a third line for the Rangers mm-hmm. into the playoffs after being a regular healthy scratch. Um, you know, go on down the list. Like, it, it's long at this point. Like, the, the, this team's not – the difference between this team making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, like – yeah, you know, the fact Tyler Myers is still playing top four minutes, we sniffed that out pretty early in training camp. And, and yeah, it's not ideal. But that's the issue. It's not Myers. I'm telling you right now. Like, I'm telling you right now, and I'll plant my flag on this. If, if Tyler Myers ends up getting dealt at some point this season, or if he signs elsewhere on a, on a value contract next season, 
and is slotted as like that team's version of Eric Johnson on a third pair or whatever, uh, especially if it's the right system for him, a system where he doesn't have to move the puck a ton, where he has maybe a more, a more mobile lefty, like Mikey Anderson template defenseman on his, um, on his left side. I, oh, he's going to be effective. Like Tyler Myers is not a sub-NHL level defenseman. This team is not better if Cole McWard plays Tyler Myers' minutes. So, you know, I, I just think it's misdirected. I think the blame and the ire is misdirected. Um, this team lost last night, not because of their, you know, 13th and 20th best skater, or like, I guess, 18 dress skaters. So not because of their 12th and 18th best skaters, but because their best through seventh best skaters played terribly. Uh, Drance, we're going to let you uh, drop here and try to reconnect. Uh, unfortunately, the connection magic did not work through the break uh, as we hoped it would. So we'll try to get Drancer back and with a, a more stable connection from his hotel room in Tampa in just a second. But, you know, as he's describing the Tyler Myers thing there, I think two things or more than two things even can all be true simultaneous here to borrow a line from uh, our next guest, Satyar Shah, who's coming up in the next segment. It's undeniable that Tyler Myers, I think, played really, really poorly last night. And obviously we've seen a lot of games in his Canucks tenure where Tyler Myers played really poorly. And I think it's very clear to me as well that if Tyler Myers is in your top four, playing legitimate top four minutes for you, that's going to be a really significant roadblock um, for the team making the playoffs. I think it comes down to a matter of perspective for a lot of fans. When a player is not living up to the role that they're in, right? And Tyler Myers is being asked to be a top four defenseman and he's not living up to it right now. Do you blame the player? Or do you blame the construction of the roster and the circumstances with which have thrust them into that role? I think the thing with Tyler Myers is that now this is going back a ways, right? We're in the final year of a, of a five-year deal for Tyler Myers. But obviously when he's a premier UFA signing for the team and he's getting the salary he is, there's an expectation that he'll be able to play top four minutes. Now, I don't think that's fair. And ultimately, like the player, of course, it's not his fault that he was given that deal and that he was signed to that contract. Of course he would. I would have done it. Of course he would have. Right. But I think it would be a lot. The, the discourse would be a lot different if this was, you know, Noah Juleson being put into the spot and playing top four minutes or like going back to last year, like Kyle Burrows being put in the spot, Luke Shen being elevated up to the lineup where it feels like, OK, we all understand that's not what this guy is supposed to be. He's playing up the lineup and he's having a bit of a tough time. I think where so much of the ire comes from for Tyler Myers, it still comes back to the salary hit. Right. And the cap hit. And the idea that, hey, if you're making that much, you should be a legitimate top four defenseman. I just think that ship has sailed. And I'm a little bit surprised that in year five of Tyler Myers with the Vancouver Canucks, we haven't fully internalized that, right? That that, that might yeah. be what the salary says, but that's not happening. And if that's your expectation, you are inherently going to be disappointed over and over and over again. Do I still sound like a Decepticon? You sound better now. We'll see. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. But you sound better. Well, just, look, just let me know if I start Optimus priming um, <laughs> right. on, the, uh, on the radio here. Hey, I, I think you're right. And, and I'd add this. Like, there have been two of four. Like, Myers has played four full seasons with the Canucks. And I'd say two of those four seasons, he actually looked pretty good. Like, he actually was decent at least. 2019-20, to, mm -hmm. totally fine. Totally fine. Next season, not so much. Then the Boudreaux bomb, like, 
Myers OEL. Don't forget that Myers OEL pair was like a, a quiet engine. Yeah. Of the of the Boudreaux bump run, the Bruce there it is Canucks were powered meaningfully by the fact that OEL Myers paired together, played tough minutes, and did so pretty. Pretty dang well, man. Like, pretty well. So his third season in Vancouver actually went pretty well. And then last season was, wasn't was good at all. And, and you know, if you chart the team's fortunes, if you chart moments where this team was, like, regularly competing, guess what? When they're playing okay, when, when the environment is fine, Myers is fine. When the environment falls apart, Myers looks really bad and often gets blamed for it. And, and I... I this is like, you know, correlation isn't always causation, but it is in this case, Jamie. Like, it is. Uh, the, the fact is, is that Myers, regardless of what he was signed to be, isn't a driver. He's not an environmental driver. He's a guy who, if your team... Okay, is, Grant, is we're gonna we're gonna let, we're gonna drop you again here. Uh, we'll we'll try to okay. figure it out. You you are sounding as you said like Optimus Prime uh, a little bit. Not Thanks in a cool, for letting me know. Not in a cool way. Uh, in an annoying way. So <laughs> you go, and we'll try to get you back uh, on. And you know, okay. So I think I heard iMac made this point on the post game show on his hit uh, with Satin Bick last night as well. Look, when the team is doing well, then yeah, Tyler Myers can fit into that, and he can play a limited role, and he's going to look a lot better than when the team structure collapses around him like it did last night i think the problem or i think again where the where where the anger comes from is that when you see a guy who's ensconced in your top four you expect them or you hope that they can be part of the solution to creating that structure right like your top four defensemen are really really important parts of your team the hope would be in an ideal world you're not going to have liabilities in there or at least not extreme liabilities you're going to have guys who can help create that really sound structure and that really sound environment for the rest of the team and you know as Drancer is saying Tyler Myers is just not that guy he hasn't hasn't really been that guy in his in his career and it's tough to have that type of player consistently in your top four when you have the expectations uh, of being a playoff team. It's just a really, really hard thing to overcome. Now, somebody else uh, texted in that it's the player's fault when they don't live up to the contract. I can see some cases where that's true, right? If a player, you know, if, if the contract looks totally reasonable based on what they've done and they completely fail to live up to it, I can see some instances where the player is primarily at fault but that Tyler Myers deal like this is not hindsight saying that they shouldn't have paid him to be a bona fide top four defenseman you can find plenty of people who are saying that the day the deal was signed like that was a poor decision I can't believe we're rehashing it right now but that was a poor decision at the time so yeah look you're you're a fan you can feel whatever you want about Tyler Myers the player I'm not saying you have to be his biggest fan but when you hand out that type of deal I think it's rich to then turn around and blame the player for not living up to it when the odds that they were ever going to be able to do that were always extremely small, right? That's what we're talking about. He was miscast with this contract. Really tough for me to blame the player primarily in that in that uh, in that situation as opposed to the team that uh, that gave him the deal. Somebody text in, please make a Drancer auto tune mashup. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be very good. Uh, I think we have Drancer. Do we have you on the phone now, Drancer? Yeah, I'm All on right. the phone. Fantastic. Oh, well, at least, at least that will be reliable, hopefully. I'm going to go find the WeWork Tampa tomorrow, I there guess. There you go. There you go. Um, uh, now, I, did, I, I, I do think, and maybe this can tie into uh, the update from practice as well, but I think the Tyler Myers conversation kind of transitions into another one, which is 
okay, like I think we can all agree, not ideal to have Tyler Myers in your top four, but what are the other realistic options, especially considering Rick Tockett's stated and demonstrated commitment to going right shot, left shot for all six, for all three pairs uh, on the blue line? It's, it's a really difficult puzzle to solve and to arrange the pieces in a way that makes you more confident than what they have right now. Well, I don't think it is. I don't think it All is. Right. I just think they have to go lefty-lefty on the top there. So, okay. And, I, I and hear that. Cole. And it's Cole. But here's it's my Cole question, though. Is- okay. Okay. I get that because Cole has the most experience playing on the right side, right? And I think you yeah. feel more confident with Hughes-Cole than Hughes-Susie. But then are, you're going with susie Hronick and... Totally fine. Okay. I don't know. Like, that, one makes me a little der- that one makes me nervous defensively. Yeah, but I mean, so does any version of that you're going to trot out. Like Cole Myers also makes you nervous defensively. Yes, it does. Friedman Susie makes you very nervous defensively. Juleson Susie is not even worth trying. So, and then so then I you mean, you go down to Myers and do you call Hiroshi back up to for the third pair, or or try him with Friedman who can play his left side or or bring up Willannon. I liked that Willannon Myers pair down the stretch last year. So. I have no issues with a Friedman Willan in rotation with Myers on the third pair. And I think situationally, like Myers still ends up probably playing, uh, you know, pretty close to top four minutes because there's, there's moments in the game where you might want to put him with Hughes. If you're chasing off offensive zone draws, other, other situations like that. Uh, Cause he is still more of an offensive than defensive defenseman uh, in terms of his five on five impact. So, you know, to me, and we saw it a little bit down um, sort of the third period in Philadelphia, like Cole, the thing I like about having a player like Cole on Hughes's right side is a Cole processes the game at like a really, really high end level mm-hmm. for an NHL player. Like, you know, I, he can't get there to do star level things, but the way he thinks the game is, is not far off from, from uh, what a star level player uh, how a star level player, a star level defender does. Like he's so sharp and you can tell, uh, you can tell in every phase of the game, but he also knows who he is. And that's, that's sort of the second point. And I think that's one of the most important things, you know, uh, w- w- when Hughes has played with like Tucker Pullman, who occasionally would, you know, go marauding in the offensive zone, like around the net and stuff. Um, it's problematic. Like if there's no play you can make with the puck that is better off being made by you than it would be being made by Quinn Hughes. Just filter the puck to Quinn Hughes. Um, I feel like that's one of the defining characteristics that the players that have complimented Hughes best, Tanev, Shen, yeah. uh, Ben, have all had a had in common. So, you know, for me anyway, I, I want to see Cole Hughes because, again, I thought last night there were so many instances. You know, you think about I know it was on the power play and Hughes wasn't on the ice, but that pass that Hironic put in uh, Pedersen's skate from like a prime scoring era, area on the power play or that, you know, desperation backhand, a really soft pass that he sent to Quinn Hughes late when the Canucks were kind of pressing um, and caused the zone to be cleared after the Canucks had established possession or, or that shot that I'm talking about. Like, I think Hironic's a guy with the skill level where even though he's skilled, um, he can try to do too much 
And when you're trying to do too much and you can't do it better than Quinn Hughes, then it's opportunities where Quinn Hughes could cook squandered. Yeah. I just don't want that from whoever Hughes plays with. And that's not even criticism of, of Heronic. It's just that, that I like when Hughes plays with a guy who's super disciplined about letting Hughes do the driving. Well, and I, but I think the concern for me is, and you're describing all the things that make Cole really effective, uh, you're bang on about it, right? Like, he is such a smart defensive defenseman. I worry about if you put that with Quinn Hughes... Like I, I want, I ideally I would have Ian Cole as the kind of like defensive anchor of the second pair, right? And maybe you go Cole Hronick, so you have the extra puck moving there as well. But I, I, my concern is if you, and it's similar to if you you load up Hughes and Hronick, but if you load up Hughes and Ian Cole, do you have enough defensive reliability from your other four defensemen to cover off all of those minutes, or are you just going to be placing a tremendous burden on that on that top pairing, right? Like that's my concern is losing Ian Cole as a stable potential stabilizing factor on the second pair I just if you've given like you better you better because of the investment you've made in Susie and Heroni right in yeah. Susie's case a uh, uh, 10 ish almost 10 million dollars in total money commitment over three years and in Heronic's case a ton of draft capital and an, uh, uh, you know a pretty difficult negotiation upcoming after this season particularly if Heronic uh, performs well so you know, you've, you've committed a lot. You, like, you better be able to have a second pair off of a key free agent signing and uh, a first and a second round pick spent. Like, you better. You better be able to trust that to be your second pair, given what this team's invested in those two players. And look, I, you know, I, I, look, there were so many passengers. There were so few standouts. But I, I thought Susie looked pretty good in his debut. He did a lot of the things, you know, I expected him to do. And I, I don't think his puck moving... Um, was a problem like his, his puck moving he was one of the few one of the defenders who was least likely to cop up the puck to a one-man forecheck yeah. um, <laughs> the Canucks just bled chances against the Philadelphia Flyers and and you can see the way he defends through the neutral zone like it's really good it's really good he's really good at surfing he's really good at squeezing he is awesome at the defensive blue line I, I mean you know, is, is, are you best suited to him being a four-five guy? Sure, but you know the first number of a four-five guy is four, and if you give him a, a puck mover like Heronic, like that, better work. That better work, in my view. I, I, look, I just want to see it. I want to see it get some run. Um, I, I just haven't been too overawed by the early returns from this hughes Ronick partnership. Well, and so much of this comes down to something we haven't had a chance to see yet for a real test run in Vancouver is, can Ronick be the best guy on the second pair? And, and have you feel good about that second pair, right? Like, that's what we're talking about here. As you said, with the investment they made and the, and the assets they used to trade that, you certainly hope it's the case, and then you partner that with the guy you went out and spent the most on in free agency this summer. But I think that that's ultimately what we're kind of talking around here is how much can you trust Philip Ronick to be the guy driving that second pair alongside Carson Soucy? And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if Rick Tockett eventually at some point feels the need, like feels the pressure to break away from the right shot, left shot thing and, and go to that. I, I think if the results, obviously, if they continue to look like they did last night in Philadelphia, I think you're going to have to go in that direction. You know, I, I know uh, Dollywell mentioned maybe he wants another practice before he gets Friedman in the lineup. We were talking about the stakes for Noah Juleson last night, under 10 minutes total ice time for Noah Juleson in Philadelphia. That's a very, obviously a very, very low number for 
uh, for a defenseman. So even, you know, with just the one practice, like you look at that usage from Juleson, wouldn't shock me to see Mark Friedman get into the game as Carson Soucy's partner tomorrow. Yeah, and I know we're up against it, so I'll keep this short. But one thing about the, you know, soccer anecdote I told during the crossover, right? Is that, <laughs> yeah, which is amazing, is that, by the way. It's so good. Um, Friedman, really likable guy, but he also has a really uncanny sense of when to bring it, right? A willingness to police. Like he's fought Sam Lafferty a couple times. He said Lafferty tuned him in the A uh, a couple times. Yes. Yep. Um, he, he said he fought Brady. Oh, he did fight Brady Kachuk last year. And he said it wasn't a fun experience, which yeah, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but like he knows how to step up, but he does it without being penalized. So when you think about Juleson mm. coming to the defense of his teammate, but, but in doing so taking the Canucks off the power play, in a two-goal game, um, you know, that that's the sort of edge that a guy like Friedman has, brings, that, that tactical noose of, of how to be a pain in the butt without necessarily being punished for it by the, by the stripes. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's going to be fast. <laughs> fascinating part of Mark Friedman's uh, game and uh, especially as you mentioned the juxtaposition with what Juleson did last night Uh, we will take a break here on Canucks Talk Uh, we've got Drancer on the phone but at least stable connection for the remainder for the final hour here uh, of Canucks Talk up next Satyar Shah from Canucks Central and Sportsnet 650 also Canucks broadcasts here on the station Uh, we will get his take on Rick Tockett's commentary the performance last night Uh, what what the Canucks might look to do with this lineup and this roster going forward. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk here, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet. What was that? Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Sounds better now. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here. Uh, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Was that in the song? That was in the song, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It just happened <laughs> right as I started talking. I was like, oh, my gosh. We had so many technical issues. You see how scared I was there for a second? Yeah, oh, and you me. Look, I'm like, oh, my God, like, what was ah! that? <laughs> Something else is going wrong? <laughs> Just perfectly timed with it's me just, starting to talk. It's just the music. It's oh my music. goodness. Uh, anyways, I believe this is our fourth attempt now uh, at a different method to have a stable connection with Drancer. But I'm assured that we've done it. You want to give, give it a test run, Drance? <laughs> Perfect. I think we're good. Not a glitch in there. Um, Nailing it. Darth, Darth, Darth Drance reporting for duty, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, we got to have the heavy breathing in there. Um, <laughs> Nate from Coox texts, uh, if Drancer wants to start a Transformers podcast, <laughs> hit me up after the uh, I'm the Optimus I'm Prime. Not, I'm not a big enough Transformers guy. Like, my references do not go deep. I no. like Decepticons and Optimus Prime. Like, I and promise Autobots. you if I knew it well enough. Yeah, if yeah. I knew it well enough, I would have, like, 
pulled out something deep to show you that I knew it. You know, that's who I am. I want to say Starfire. Is that another one? That might be the only other one uh, I can name. But uh, anyways. And we'll, Bumblebee. Yeah, Bumblebee, I guess. Um, yes, that's true. Um, all right. Now joining <laughs> us uh, to talk Canucks, not to talk Transformers here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, he is our guy from Canucks Central and, of course, doing the pre and the post game show here as well. Satyar Shah. Sat, what's going on, man? Nothing, man. Uh, I'm Team Decepticons, usually. Really? Really? That's, <laughs> no, not really. I was going to say, that feels out of character for you. You're, you're such a good guy. You're, you're on the side of the villains? I'd be surprised. That's debatable, being a good guy or not. I faked it well, I suppose. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, I, I mean, I listened, so I, I know for sure, but uh, a, a bit of a different mood on the post-game show last night compared to the first two games, Sad. Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was a listless uh, performance and one that was pretty embarrassing, to be honest. And it was a type of performance that we'd roast before last year. And it's only game three, right? I mean, it's been a couple of games in. They won the first two or whatever. But it, it's early in the season. And if we didn't have all the baggage of the previous years, we could say it's one out of 82 early in the season. We'll see what happens. But it's hard not to be concerned by how soft they were. And I know the coach didn't want to say they're soft, but he essentially said they're soft yep. as well. And I was re-watching a lot of the games today. And I, I, honestly, I don't take anything positive out of that performance. Like, even the PK, I mean, let's be real. The, the Flyers' power play is dreadful. They have nobody of any consequence outside of Konechny. The guy who's been most dangerous half the time is Tyson Forster, who might get healthy scratch next game. So, yeah, they did well in the PK. Demko was fantastic. But, I mean, I, I can't really take any positives out of the game they played last night. And, I think that's disappointing considering how they want to turn the page and not have those types of performances anymore. Are you concerned at all? And I know, I think from what I've seen, fans have been very positive about what Rick Tockett had to say last night, right? They've been positive mm-hmm. about the negative comments. Do you have any concern that it's like too early in the season to use that type of language? Or, and this is more where I fall, to be honest, but like this team, if any team needs it, it's this team based on the starts and the type of performances we've seen consistently. Like they, they almost need to hear this message directly from the coach this early? Well, I think so. And I think if we're talking about holding the team accountable, then you can't wait to hold people accountable, especially when you've been talking so much about the details and the non-negotiables or maybe more fitting with the staples that he talks about. And if you're not executing those things, then he should be roasting them. And I'm okay with him doing so. I, I, I think that if we're at a point now where we're trying to protect these players and protect like you know, their culture and everything, then... I think the whole point is lost. It's going to be uncomfortable changing your habits. It's going to be difficult to become something you haven't been yet. And there will be some uneasy moments going through it. But you have to hold these guys accountable. I don't think there's any way you can watch the game last night and try to be positive or, or give, give a spin to the media on it. So I'm all fine with talking, taking this track. And we heard a lot of these things in the preseason. Let's not forget, he spoke about after some preseason games, talking about their habits aren't good enough yet. They're not, uh, they need to be more self-prepared. He took some onus saying, I didn't do a good, good enough job of preparing these guys for the game. But at the same time, he's also, what, the third coach who's been talking about staff preparation being a bit of an issue with these guys. So it's nothing we haven't heard from him anymore. I've heard from him before. And, and I, if, he, if that gaming is in Edmonton was cleaner, I think maybe he would have given them a, a bigger pass. But when you call the guys out and go off on them in practice about having to earn your you-know-what ice time and they show up and give that type of effort – I don't think you have much of a recourse to the head coach to go in on him the way he did. Sat, I'm curious to get your take on this because, uh, you know, I, I referred to them as Schrodinger's hockey team. They're both a good and bad team all at once, Depends depending on w- when you tune in and what's in the box. 
are the Canucks off to a good start? Uh, I mean, so are we going to talk about quantum entanglement, entanglement as well? I like that. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> now, before we get into that, no, but, but I, I, so I think they're off to a good start in terms of points. I mean, yeah, they have they picked up 66% of the points through three games. I think that's positive. But I think in terms of process, they've had one good game. They've had one horrible game, mm. and they had one game where they bend, they, they, they bent but didn't break. So I'd say that from a process standpoint, it hasn't been a good start. If, if two-thirds of your games have been poor and one has been horrible and one has been good, I can't sit here and say it's a good start. From a results standpoint, it's great. You picked up four out of six points so far, and I'm glad that they have, and it keeps them kind of you know going, and you have a chance to get through the first 10 games of the season and keep your head above water, which is what we're all hoping that they can do. But I can't sit here and say it's a good start when you play two really poor games in a row and the coach is already roasting guys post-game. Where do you stand on the Myers debate? Um, you know, we, we did a bit on the last segment talking about how uh, it felt like Canucks fans wanted to pile on to the 12th and 18th most important skaters in this lineup and ignore that skaters one through eight also had bad games. Um, I mean, is Myers taking too much flack for what was truly a bad team effort in your view? I mean, I, I suppose to some degree, because it's one of those things where we've seen Tyler Myers struggle and he struggled mightily last year. And it's one of those things that as soon as you see something, it's like, oh, here we go again. And he gets extra criticism for it. But it's hard not to view him as a player who was the worst guy on the ice last night. And that's not to say, yeah, other guys weren't good either. And I was listening to you guys earlier, and I think you guys made a good point that he's the type of player that needs the environment to be stable for him to even be decent. But it's part of the problem here, too. Like, like I understand that sometimes you make the wrong mistake or whatever, but I don't, I don't understand why he's trying to bend down and stop a putt with his hand on the blue line. I don't know why he's giving a blind, blind backhand pass into the slot to an opponent that goes in cold on Patrick and cold makes a save on it. I understand like sometimes, Hey, listen, the player's not as good as you thought he is, but these are unforced errors we're talking about half the time. And if those things are happening, I don't know if we consider and blame like the rest of the team for not being good enough. Sure. They haven't been, and nobody deserves criticism and nobody deserves praise outside of Patrick and from that game in Philly. But when you're making those types of unforced errors, you got to wear it as well. And I know it's tough for him, but he's getting paid $6 million. The organization asking him to play a lesser role. He played 17 minutes last night, and almost every shift was a disaster. So I'm at a point now, guys, I'm, I'm just not ready to give guys passes anymore. It's like, you guys got to show up and play, and I understand it's not easy, but it's not supposed to be easy. And there are a lot of teams in NHL that don't have it easy that have more respectable performances than what these guys put out last night. Yeah, and I think the key thing you said there, Sad, is like one way or another, you you need to see him in a lesser role at some point. Like it's it's hard to see the path to the playoffs if he's a regular in your top four. You look at it though, and we were debating this in the last segment. You know, with how committed Talkit has been to being even on his pairings with a right shot and a left shot defenseman, I don't know what the path to that is right now. Do you think like when do you think we get to the point where Talkit has to consider playing one of Ian Cole or Carson Soucy on their offside with Quinn Hughes? just so you can rearrange things to move Tyler Myers down the lineup into a, a role he's more suited for. I mean, can you afford not to do it at some point against Tampa? 
right? Like, I, that's kind of what I'm looking at. And, like, I don't feel very confident in throwing Tyler Myers out there in a top four role. I think the only way you can kind of – I guess the only other formation I can look at and say, okay, you can try this next game if you do what the Canucks are trying to do with Cole McGord, where they play him some sheltered minutes. They play Friedman in that McGord role with sheltered mm. minutes with Quinn. And then you get situation. You saw situationally, especially um, in that second game in Edmonton, the final 10 minutes, it was essentially – it was Cole – it was Hughes and it was Ronick. Those three guys just kept getting out there at the end of the game. So I can see them maybe doing that in some, during some soft spots and then turning over to those guys, those top three guys in the final 10 minutes if you're in the game to try to keep it close. But I'm with, the, with you. I think at this point, Juleson's not NHL caliber. Tyler Myers struggles playing a top, a top four role. He has to play a more limited third pair role with more sheltered minutes for him to be successful. And I don't know if you can keep foregoing playing a lefty on his right side. It's imperfect, but clearly the guys that can play the right side aren't good enough to begin with. And especially against a team like Tampa, when they get you pinned in the off of the zone with how heavy they can be and how they can get guys turned around, I fear for Tyler Myers being on the ice for a significant portion of the game. So I'd love to see one of those guys, whether whether it's – I'd say Cole is the guy that I trust more, maybe alongside Quinn Hughes because of his – He's adept at playing the right side. He's a steady player. I think they can make it work, those guys. And even though Susie is a bit imperfect, I still feel better about him than I do like well, having Noah Juleson play his offside and, and the second pair. So I'd, I'd rather go Cole and Hughes next game and go Susie and Aronek and then do everything you can to shelter that third pair. You know, we've already seen them make a minor move to address the the depth on the right side, bringing in Mark Friedman. You know, we've heard different names attached in Connor Garland trade rumors. I know uh, Rick Dollywell earlier on our show reported they're still interested in Ethan Bear. He could sign uh, next month mm-hmm. potentially with the team, although who knows when he'd actually be ready, ready to go and contribute in the lineup. How much pressure do you think the organization is feeling, or urgency maybe is a better word, to go out and further address this spot on the roster right now? I think there's a desire. I don't know where the urgency is at, because you can be as urgent as you want to be. The trade market is a trademark. Yeah. And I'm not sure what recourse the Canucks have to acquire a true top four defenseman. Um, if we're talking about guys like Connor Garland, I think if you're looking at a quality player, quality defenseman, I don't know how you acquire that without giving up something that's going to be tough to give up, like a first-round pick, like one of your top prospects, giving up somebody who's a meaningful player off your roster. I, I can see them maybe trying some small things, but I don't see anything significant here in terms of moves that can be made imminently. Sat, I had an interesting discussion with Mark Friedman, who's been claimed off waivers before, and and he noted that, you know, from the perspective of a roster bubble guy, uh, players kind of knew that no one could afford to claim anyone. That, like, when he went on waivers this time, there wasn't a ton of suspense or or hope in his case. Uh, he, He knew he'd have to clear and then maybe a trade would come that the dynamic's so different now than it was even two, three years ago when he was claimed from the Flyers by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, what do you think that says about the state of the league and the state of teams' cap situations? Oh, we might have dropped Sat now. You guys lose me. No, I think we oh, dropped wow. Sat. <laughs> Wow, what a, a banner day. Oh, here we go. Sat's back. Sat's back. You, you, can't, you can't blame Drance on this one. It's, no. uh, it's my phone. Were you on mute, Sat? It's not your fault. 
No, I wasn't on mute. My phone line just dropped. Sometimes, believe it or not, even though I live in Vancouver, sometimes the reception isn't great where I live. I don't understand. But anyways, um, so the question was, Grant, if you don't mind repeating it, it was something about how hard it is to make trades right now? No, it was, uh, I was talking to Friedman, Mark Friedman today after practice, and he was talking about how when he went on waivers this time versus when he went on waivers in Philadelphia and was claimed by the Penguins, he kind of knew he was, wouldn't get claimed because no one had cap space. Like, it, the dynamic's even different for guys on the roster bubble in terms of how they react to sort of their status um, vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis waivers because no one can add anything. I mean, how how... How can we expect a Garland trade to be imminent in that kind of environment? I, honestly, I don't think it is. You know, you know I'm, I'm not disputing yeah. any of the reporting. I think, I no. think, I think what, what's happening, I think the agent is doing his job. The agent changed. I think he's been working very hard to find a fit. And I think a lot, so what I, I heard talking to a team, I'm not going to name the team in the source, I promise I wouldn't, but I heard that the buzz is the agent's been talking to teams and a lot of stuff coming out is based on the agent doing his job. He's trying to create a market for his player. So I think these things are going on, but I don't think anything is imminent. When I've checked in on the status of this with people with the organization, I keep hearing, of course, you're open to trying to do things. Even Alvin himself said so, but there isn't a sense that anything is imminent. Like I, I have a hard time seeing any type of significant trade happening until we get closer to the new year. I mean, look, let's look at last year, for instance, for to see what happened. The Cucks were involved in what four of the first five trades, and the biggest trade initially was the Jason Dickinson trade, and the next trade that was significant was the one that happened in Feb when they traded full Horvat. Money wasn't moving across the league. Teams wanted to do things. So I'm very pessimistic about a trade being imminent at all, and I don't think a trade's going to happen for a few months. I mean, as much as teams have a desire, it has to be money in and money out. And if Vancouver's desire is to get some cap flexibility, no team can give them cap flexibility until they get more cap space themselves a bit later down the road. Perhaps that's through accruing some cap space or injuries happening that clears up some space for them to go out and do certain things and acquire players. But I, I think it's going to be very hard to make any sort of significant trade right now. You know what? God bless all the insiders who are giving us what to talk about. I think it's great. <laughs> but I just don't see anything happening anytime soon. One of the guys who was involved in that Bo Horvat trade, Anthony Beauvillier, ended up getting short shrift uh, in terms of his ice time late in the game against the Flyers. What are you seeing from him? How much more does he need to bring to this club? I think he has to bring significantly more. I thought the first game um, against the Oilers, he, he did what he was supposed to do. He was good on the forecheck. He got pucks deep. He was in the right spot defensively. It was the bare minimum of what you have to do. The team played well, and it was like, okay, fit into the team structure. He did what he needed to do. But I keep looking at him. I keep thinking about him when I hear the head coach talk about, we got to have guys do more. We have to have guys earn their ice time. There are other guys that can provide a lot more than they have so far. Anthony Bavillier has a huge opportunity here, not only in terms of scoring some points and being you know, playing higher up the lineup here, but in terms of him getting another contract elsewhere. And the fact that Phil Giuseppe is already doing far more than Bavillier has in terms of being the wall guy, retrieving pucks, you know, connecting passes in the offensive zone, being able to play along star, alongside star players, and the fact that Garland's already ahead of him playing in the top six, I don't think that's because the team doesn't want to give him a chance. I just think he hasn't earned that opportunity. And part of the issue with Bavillier always has been, he's more of a middle six, third line type of player, and he's always had trouble elevating and playing in a top six role. Now, when he first came over last year, he was terrific with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and they got on a heater. He played the bumper spot in the power play. But he's not the type of player, and this is where Bo was so good on the power play, that he was able to find space for himself. He was able to, you know, he was able to 
either go down low and then reverse back up, and he was able to just be adept enough to find soft spots, get soft spots, get a shot off. Devillier doesn't have that ability. So as soon as he gets crowded playing the bumper, that opportunity was already gone. That's why he's not back on that spot anymore. And he's, and he's simply not strong enough along the boards, no, no active enough along the boards to be able to win over the head coach right now. So if he wants to play an elevated role, he's going to have to pick it up significantly. And, you know, beyond Beauvillier, Sat, like we talk so much about the blue line and, you know, Tyler Myers and Juleson and trade options there, and understandably so, but you just start to look at the the forward group overall. And I understand Mikheyev's going to come back at some point soon. Bluger's going to come back eventually. So there are kind of internal reinforcements coming, but it's not just Beauvillier that's kind of underperformed or left you wanting a little more. And it feels like, you know, as much as we talk about the questions on the blue line, in terms of who's going to be in the lineup on a nightly basis at Ford, who's going to play where, what role are they going to have, there's still a lot of questions that this team needs to answer and really the players need to answer by stepping up and, and giving something uh, to impress Rick Tockett here. Oh, absolutely. Even a guy like Dakota Joshua, last night was a game that screened a player like him doing something, getting involved, making a mark, and not necessarily just fighting, but are you going to – are you going to be a bit of a, you know, what on the ice and, and do something and perhaps giving your team a little bit of a spark? There was nothing there, right, from him. Um, Lafferty, I think, had some moments, but, you know, he's had some good already new acquisitions. We, we can give him a little bit of time. I think Niels Hoaglander has already outperformed guys like Lafferty. He's already, I mean, uh, Joshua, he's outperformed Bovillier. I think he was better than Garland the last couple of games as well. So I think as much as, you know, Hoaglander was criticized a lot, and I've been critical of his play as well, I think at the very least, like, he's trying to seize the opportunity. And even last night, there were some moments I don't like from him, but he was still active. Like, he was more active than half these forwards doing things. And that's good on him because he's trying to claim his spot and move up. But you're right. Like, I, I look at Bavilia, I look at Joshua. Even PDG last night, I don't think he had a strong game, although he's obviously progressed really good. But I think those guys, especially when Mikhaev comes back, I don't think we can just assume that Hoaglander is the one coming out. Do they make a tough decision? And do they put do they healthy scratch potentially a player like Bavillier? Do they healthy scratch potentially uh, a player like Joshua when Mikheyev comes in? Like, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me because those are the types of players that they can't afford to not have like strong shifts in a the game. They can't afford to not bring it when the team needs some needs a spark. I mean, what are you here for if you're not able to create a little mm. something when a team is desperate for a little bit of energy? And if you're playing that type of role and you can't provide it, I just don't see the coach uh, putting up with it and. I think when McCabe comes back, it makes it a bit easier in terms of the top six and, and perhaps moving Garland back down to the third line gives them a bit of a boost playing alongside Suter and, and maybe things come into place a little bit. But yeah, I'm with you. I think so far, Hoagliner's played the best and I wouldn't be shocked that when McCabe is healthy, maybe somebody who we didn't expect gets healthy scratched. Uh, so just before we let you go, Sat, uh, when we put out the tweet with you coming on the show, uh, Austin and Langley, who I know is a regular on the post-game show in the inbox as well, uh, tweeted at us, Hiroshi's agent, Satyar Shah, is coming on to discuss his client getting sent down to the AHL. And, you know, I did just want to ask you, like, I don't have a big problem with Hirose going down because he needs reps. He needs to play, right? What do you think the next, like, few months look like in an ideal world for Akita Hirose? Well, yeah, you know, I, I did make a phone call to the front office today <laughs> saying and, uh, I, I proclaimed my displeasure with my client being sent down after a short stint in the National Hockey League team. But, no, but in all seriousness, <laughs> I'm a big fan of his and I think he has a bright future, but I think he needs to play. Like, he needs to play a lot. And if, and I know he's young. I mean, he's not as young anymore. He's, what, 24? He's a guy that obviously came over a bit later, so it's not like his ceiling is significantly higher than what we've seen so far, but I do think it's more than what he's provided. He's gets stronger physically and everything, but like, I'd like to see him 
play a bigger role and play 30, 40, 50 games in AHL, the Stinks take a hat on Cole McWard. Yeah, maybe they're ready to give you a little bit of something, but wasn't the whole goal of this organization with this new front office to not repeat the mistakes of the front office of the past years? I mean, we talked about Hovnander getting elevated too quickly. If those are the things and this organization spoke at length about creating an environment and developing players, slow cooking them. And if that's the case, then why you shouldn't be rushing them into the National Hockey League anyways. Give him 30, 40 games down in Abbotsford until injuries hit or something. But I think these guys need to play and still develop their games, gain some more confidence. I want to see him play in more situations because I don't want to, I don't want to just have view this guy as, okay, can he be a six, seven defenseman? Is there more? Can he be a number five potentially? And I don't think you can just become a number five defenseman or a number four defenseman even just coming straight into national hockey league. And we have deficiencies, deficiencies in your game stop to work out. So I just think he still needs time. And I'm glad the organization is making the smart move because I think the, the desperate move, would be to put your best players out up here right now, and that would include Hirose, perhaps even McWard. But I don't think I don't think that's best for their long term development. Sat, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, I always say you don't do enough work for the station, so I'm glad I'm glad you're putting in an extra shift with us today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It, My pleasure. We, we can disagree and debate something else uh, in the future. I'm sure we'll find something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it we'll was, have uh, you back to do it. We will do it for sure. Uh, that is Satyar right. Shah. Of course, you can thanks, hear him here man. every day uh, on Canucks Central and Sports at 6:50, and also uh, on the Canucks pre and post game shows, and frequently on the panel with Murph on the broadcasts as well. So, as I said, really, you know, shirking his duty typically uh satyar shah but makes up for it by joining us today um a couple of roster notes we should mention one that happened yesterday which was that the canucks put guillaume brisebois on ltir as uh, the uncertainty around his health status remains that allowed them to convert jets to nika to a regular recall so not an emergency recall anymore so he's just a regular recall with a cap hit and all that uh today they sent down akita rose and recalled mark friedman so as it stands seven defensemen right now 12 four Forwards. And then that's also, of course, with Ilya Mikheyev potentially coming back soon and uh, Teddy Bluger still uh, on IR as well. So counting against the cap there. So Guillaume Brisebois to LTIR, Drancer, making the roster and cap machinations a little bit easier for the time being for the Canucks. Yeah, I mean, they had to put Brisebois on LTI to terminate the conditions of... Stanika's emergency recall and cap exemption into that LTI space and then flip-flop uh, Hirose for Friedman, who was below the line when they acquired him. I mean, this is all being done, you know, on a knife's edge. Yep. Uh, and the Canucks aren't alone in that, but... Um, you know, there, there is, uh, I think, some questions you can ask about the prioritization that the club has sort of put into practice in, in getting themselves to that point with a team that, you know, I, I think has definitely improved their stock despite what we saw last night in Philadelphia as, as a potential playoff team. But again, you know, the, the subtle... The subtle moves that have amped up the pressure around this team, like the the way that they've decided to manage this caps this cap situation, the way they're pressed up against it, you know, it, it's fine for a contender, right? It's not so fine if you're going to be a, a team that falls short, um, and you know that's that's this management group's own standards. So I, I do think it's worth noting. Right, it's worth noting all the ways in which this team is prioritizing the short term, and, and as a result, I think you know better deliver on it. Like this team, better deliver on it. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll get an update from uh, practice. Uh, Drancer was there in Tampa today as the team hit the ice after that performance last night. Uh, we'll get an update there. Take your text as well into the inbox. It is Canucks talk on Sportsnet six fifty.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. The Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am Silent Auction is live now. Help support CAN by bidding on signed memorabilia, Canucks tickets, local getaways, spa and golf experiences, and more. The Canucks Autism Network provides valuable programs and services for children, youth, and adults on the autism spectrum. Auction closes on October 30th. For more information on the auction and event info, visit canproam.ca. We continue to break down and react to the uh, discouraging 2-0 loss for the Canucks last night in Philadelphia against the Flyers. The team was back on the ice uh, for practice in Tampa where they'll play the Lightning tomorrow, Drancer. You were there. Do you want to listen to what Rick Talkett had to say after the practice first, and then we can caption and get into it? Uh, or do you want to yeah. set the scene for us? No, we'll, we'll listen to no, Talkett. Well, uh, I mean, look, uh, why don't I do a little bit of scene setting? It, it, Pedersen wasn't on the ice. That was the, sort of the, the most notable yep. lineup item. Lineup was otherwise unchanged uh, materially. And, you know, it was a... Like, it definitely was a different vibe at practice than what we saw on Monday. It wasn't as hard driving. Um, it, a little bit more systems work, I thought, from, mm. from what I could tell. Some of that F3 stuff, more breakouts, a lot of special teams. And uh, there were a couple of interesting moments, which I'll get into on the other side of this audio clip. All right, let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media there after practice today. Well, it's a message. You know, we had a good meeting today, and, uh, you know, we... You know, the one thing with the, the, the players and uh, coaches, you know, we tell it straight. We know where we were at last game, and it's a new day. You know, we had a you know good game, game one. Second game, we kind of hung on, and then the, obviously the, the third game wasn't a, a good effort in a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of areas. So now we reset, had a good practice today, and um, move on to Tampa. Do you think with the culture you've built that regardless of what your message was after the game, that this is a group that felt the same way you did? Yeah, that's the key, right? You know, and, you know, it's game three, and um, it's not, for me, it's not the attitude, oh, you know, relax, you know, we got plenty. No, it's, it's, we want to continue to press accountability, tell people what it is, because maybe in game 50, we don't have to go through these meetings and, 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 and this sort of stuff. So it's, we got to, it's got to be done right away. And I think most of the players understand that. And uh, that's the way we're going to keep coaching. What's that meeting entail today? Is there video? Um, and in watching that, is there anything you saw uh, from last <clears throat> night that surprised you, that changed your opinion on the game? Well, not really. I, I, it's not about, you know, I, I know the intent of guys. They don't want to lose battles. It's just our technique. Get in on somebody, you know, or, you know, we had a couple of, you know, we had a, they had about four one-man four checks and they end up with a puck. Uh, you can't have that happen. You know, we had a chance to win puck battles with a second quick and he's late. It was like, for some reason, we're on our heels and it just pinballs, right? It just, it just multiplies. You know, you get, a, you get a, the odd player shift that, hey, they don't win a battle, but you can't have the third, the fourth, the fifth, sixth shift lose battles in a row. You can't have on our breakouts <clears throat> losing three, um, you know, one-man four checks in the first period. They just add up, and then that's why, 
you know, Denver's got to be all world. So we got that, That's the stuff we got to clean up. I know Pedersen at practice. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's a little bit middle of maintenance, a little banged up a little bit, but he's maintenance. Um, no concern about him for tomorrow. No, I don't think so. No, I think he should be fine. And uh, I noticed Demko left 38 minutes in. I know you've talked about building in different rest opportunities for yeah. him with, without you know necessarily spelling him 35 games or whatever. Right. Is that is that part of it? Well, he came on early with yeah. Clarky. Thought when he had 50 shots last night, he doesn't need more than that. You yeah. know, he's probably out. Probably should have left it after 20 minutes. But uh, but he were managing that, you know. And uh, you know, I think what Clarkie does is really important at the beginning of practice. And that's why we signed that third goalie, you right. know. And we, sporadically, when we're going to use him, you know, we fell on this trip because we had some two days between games. We didn't need him. But going on, that's where he'll come in and take the lion's share and, and then uh, Demko or Casey if you know if he's yeah. had a couple of games where he's had a lot of shots we can have that third goal to spell him Will Casey play one of these games on the trip yeah he'll get it oh yeah for sure yeah he'll definitely get a game yeah I mean uh, he's done a really nice job for us and uh, I think it's we got a nice balance of where he can come in and do his job but uh, you know like I said you know we got to monitor Demmer just like Case we can't have him have long inactivity he you know he doesn't deserve to sit either is that the idea that if if you can play get to game 82 already but yeah. if if Demko plays 50 this year instead of 60 that seems like a, as long as you're getting good backup goal, that seems like a, a much better scenario as far as freshness and injury prevention is that the way yeah definitely we we got to manage that it's no different than i mean i can't play miller and Pedersen 23 24 minutes i know they play 22 23 uh, i i got to get more ice time out of guys i need guys to kind of grab a hold we need that depth to take some minutes. So it's no different than the other guys, you know, the guys that have a lot of minutes or, 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 or a guy like Demko. You know, you, you, we need to somewhat spread it out, but also make sure that they get, obviously, you want those guys on the ice as much as possible. Yeah. With uh, So in terms of a rotation, is it like the Florida games because they're more compressed mm-hmm. where we might see the split or... Uh, well, that's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to commit to it, but you know, that's just something. You know, plus we got to, we're in Nashville, we have a couple of days off again, so there's there's a lot of rest opportunity for for Denver and and, and for some of our players too. That's Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking after the practice today in Tampa, and you know, Drancer, not not uh, the longest availability. <laughs> From Talkit, but there's some interesting well, I wanted things to run in there. Off and make it to radio, man. <laughs> yeah, because normally when you're on the road, there's so few people that travel with the team. Now, when you do go on the road, you sometimes just have like these like five minute their scrums, but they're just one on ones with you uh, and the coach, which is always entertaining. Um, but there was there was lots <laughs> in there. No, 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 it's great. Yeah. Um, no, well, after after that interview ended, right? Yeah. I start laughing. I start laughing. He's like, what are you laughing about? And I was like, I asked you your starter a week out just to test you. <laughs> and he didn't commit. <laughs> he won. No, he didn't commit. But like, I, he didn't look at me sideways either. He tried to answer it. Yeah. Which, uh, which I just thought was interesting. Like, I swear Greener would have stared daggers at me. He would have been like, what are you talking about? Like, he was loath to tell me who his starter was the day before a game, right? So, talk, talk it's open, I man. That was interesting. He's an open guy. Yeah, he he's he's, he's going to tell it like it is. Well, and I, I just let him 
no, I was testing him. Like, it's like, I don't know, the, the going seemed good. I figured I'd, I figured I'd see how far we could push it. Um, the topic of the topic yeah. of Demko's workload, though, is an interesting one, because that was one of the first things or one of the things that I was thinking watching that game last night is when when Talkin has been asked about the issue of keeping Demko healthy and fresh throughout the season, like one of the things he's prioritized in his answers has been, well, if we change the environment in front of him, we don't necessarily have to drastically reduce the games he's playing because the, the, the work he's doing in those games is going to be so much easier. And last night, of course, was the exact opposite of that where you're completely leaving him out to dry you're forcing him into these like five alarm hyper athletic saves lots of east west movement that he has to track all of these things that rick talkett was hoping to eliminate to keep thatcher demko fresh and now game three into the season you're looking at it and thinking you know you might have to go back to the drawing board on your plan for thatcher demko's workload if there's too many games that look like they did last night yeah, I like, I like, like, I think it's a mark of ambition that the team is being so disciplined to this point with their goalie usage. And I would add, like, in Abbotsford, too, uh, you know, I think limiting, limiting Demko's games played for me is, is a sign of self confidence. It's a sign that you're keeping your eye on the prize, which is, you know, not, not, not the organization's usual sort of flimsy, let's be competitive this season and make the playoffs, but like, let's be a tough out when we get there. Um, you know, if you're managing Demko's load to that extent, I mean, I think that's a sign of ambition. That's something I really welcome, right? Especially as we see it. Uh, the fact that Demko left practice so early and, and like solidly 15 minutes before the first skater did, uh, to me was notable, welcome, um, and I admire it. Like uh, to me, that's a really good sign of an organization, you know, that, that too often, in my opinion, aims low. Low, like too low, um, you know, a, a sign that they're sort of thinking big picture in, in a way that, you know, I, I wish they did in other, in other facets. Well, and it's, and, you know, games like last night, again, you need to avoid them so badly because one, it amps up Demko's workload, but then you also, it can chip away at that self-confidence you have, right? Like you need to have confidence in your team and their ability to perform in front of Casey DeSmith uh, in order for you to keep going to him. And like last night, it's hard. They're going to maintain it for the short term, obviously, because it's just one game so far. Uh, hashtag I jog here. But, you know. If it continues and if it turns into more than one, two, three, four games, like it hurts your your efforts in two ways to keep Thatcher Demko healthy. Because one, you're hanging around to dry constantly, and, and it also becomes that much more difficult when you're losing games like that uh, to put Casey DeSmith in net on a regular basis. And, you know, I did think it was interesting, and he kind of segued from the Demko workload discussion to just the discussion overall, talking about how he would really like to reduce the workload that Pedersen and Miller are playing right now while also simultaneously acknowledging like yeah I need to get their minutes down but I can't do it by myself I need other players to step up and really give me confidence that they can take those minutes they can take some of that burden and it's not going to put us behind the eight ball and it gets to what we were talking about with Sat right like Anthony Bavillier has been in the crosshairs a little bit here but it's not just him it's not just him in, in terms of the forwards and the depth forwards on this team that needs to step up and give the coaches a reason to play them more no, it's, I mean, explicitly within that answer, it's a challenge to, you know, some of, some of the people who, as he sort of described it on Wednesday night, 
Right, like need to go back to the drawing board in terms of their effort level and competitiveness. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that he took a discussion of Demco and and used it to sort of reinforce the message that there's a lot of you know players that need to step up, earn their bleep and ice time, as he put it. So, you know, the Pedersen thing too. He doesn't seem concerned about Pedersen's status for tomorrow. Yep. I, I did uh, walk by Pedersen on my way out of the practice facility. He 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 looked completely unencumbered. So I really don't think there's concern there. Uh, I don't have any anyway, but I guess we'll learn more should the Canucks morning skate tomorrow or whenever talk it does a pregame briefing. Obviously, stay tuned to Sportsnet 650 and to my Twitter feed, and we'll have all of the news on that. But I, I, I don't think it's much. Like, I, I'm not worried at all that we're going to watch the Canucks take on the Tampa Bay Lightning without Pedersen in the lineup. I, I think he'll be there. I, I don't think this was um, much of anything. He took a couple big hits last night, too. I know everyone's, you know, using the Myers mm-hmm. shot, which happens, by the way, uh, to, to just sort of further fuel their criticism of, of today's scapegoat uh, or, or the scapegoat du jour. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, I, he, took, he took a couple big hits uh, in that game, too. So not surprised he came out of it uh, with some bumps and bruises um, and got the day off today uh, a couple couple notes from practice one moment in particular stood out to me uh, a big emphasis uh, in terms of how the players were speaking to one another what the coaches were saying to them today seemed to be to talk more really mm. challenging guys to to be louder speak more which you know matches something talk it's said about this group a fair bit right they're they're a they're little too quiet. quiet yep and yeah and then you can sort of see it where it's like Guys are getting loud like after plays, you know, like, yeah, great, great, great play, man. Um, (laughs) As opposed to sort of talking in game, which I I think is the actual focus, uh, talking as you play, right? Communicating, working together. Uh, So that that was something that stood out to me. And uh, another thing was there was a, a, a particularly funny moment, at least funny to me, where Thatcher Demko cajoled, um, Kuzmenko after a drill. He was like, skate hard, Kuzi. Like, come on, man. Like, really sort of, you know, uh, put the put his foot down and was like, hey, man, like, go out, get after it. And on the very next rep, Kuzmenko went like 120 out of 100 speed <laughs> through the drill. And the drill itself ends with you taking a shot on the goaltender. So it ends with him taking a shot at Demko and, like, just the sickest possible off post wrist shot beat Demko by Kuzmenko and I just thought oh, that's that's pretty cool there you like, go that's a pretty cool moment as as Kuzmenko uh you know um definitely listened <laughs> Demko Thatcher Demko getting results on, in the in the motivation yeah. department as part of the leadership group yeah there you go just yeah, need, pretty they, funny they, they I really need, enjoyed it they just need to carry that over to the game uh tomorrow in Tampa <laughs> and I did think, you know, you brought this up with Donnie and Dolly earlier in the uh, in the show, and maybe it's partly that Pedersen wasn't on the ice, so there wasn't as much opportunity, but I was a little surprised that there were no lineup changes today, really. I mean, they moved Sam Lafferty up to take Elias Pedersen's place, which is obviously just because he's not available, so Mikheyev bumps up to the fourth line, but other than that, it was completely unchanged, uh, and, and then you have Mark Friedman rotating in with Noah Juleson, but there was no mm-hmm. lines in a blender like you thought, like we saw in the third period last oh, night, right? I solidly expected it. 
Yeah, I mean, I expected at least one or two kind of, oh, that's interesting moves, if not the full blender. What's yours? Like, is it because Pedersen wasn't there, so there's kind of no sense in completely redoing things when your top center isn't there because you're, you're not sure what it's going to look like anyway? Like, Or do you think we see this lineup get kind of a mulligan going into Tampa tomorrow? I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds. It, it could be just like don't give the lightning mm. new lines the day before right like we could show up at morning skate and it's totally different on the whiteboard and then on the ice um that wouldn't shock me but i i don't think it's that what i think is you know instead of today being consequences day because of how the perform club performed yesterday talk its commentary effectively was the rattled cage right like the 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 coach already rattled the, the player's cage and, and sort of buzzed the tower, to use hockey terminology, with, or terminology, oh my goodness. Um, so he didn't need to do it with his line combinations of practice, and he won't need to do it for this start of the game. If the club is flat out the gate, you'll see it anyway, right? So yeah. my guess is, is we see this team roll with the same lineup, but on a very short leash, right? Like bring it right away or or the consequences will be felt. Like that's that's my expectation at this point. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen, even going back to last year, there's been games where, you know, Rick Tockett is not shy about really limiting ice time for guys, bumping guys down the lineup. You're right, like he will go, he'll play, he's comfortable playing those cards uh, on an in-game basis. So if it looks at all similar tomorrow in Tampa uh, to what it did last night, you can expect to see those lines in the blender once again from Rick Tockett. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Still time to get some of your questions and thoughts in here. I did want to read this one from Dave in Langley because it, it echoes, I think, a sentiment I've, I've seen coming in a lot in our inbox and also in social media. Uh, Dave says, is there a specific reason why the Canucks always stink on East Coast trips? Have they considered tinkering with when they move from city to city to accommodate better sleep and rest? Other teams don't seem to have as much of a struggle, it seems. That's from Dave in Langley. Look, I don't know what the kind of all-time percentages or recent percentages percentages are for the Canucks on East Coast trips compared to, you know, the California teams, the, the the Alberta teams. So I can't necessarily speak to that. I know yesterday, you know, a lot of people bringing up, oh, early start and all that. But I don't know, like, it just doesn't hold a lot of water for me. Not that obviously, like sleep and travel and rest, those things all play a big role in the NHL. I understand that. But if we're trying to isolate it and look at yesterday's game and say, well, that's why they didn't have their legs. I mean, they had two days off before flying out to Edmonton. I'm not sure I can draw the connection between that kind of general issue that Dave brings up and the result last night, Trancer. Uh, It's maybe a harder than usual game, given a variety of factors surrounding the contest. Uh, But they were so flat Mm. that it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, maybe maybe you're playing at 95%, 90% instead of 100. But... I mean, that was a, a 60% effort. So there's still a gap there that I think w- we can't really lay on the time zone. At least I can't. Um, it wasn't a back-to-back. They had Sunday. I mean, Sunday was a travel day, but it was off. Monday was a practice day. And I, I know people pivoting off my description of like a harder-than-usual practice for a 2-0-0 team have sort of got it in their heads that like the team was over-practiced or what have you. Um, like they did five minutes of lines. It wasn't... I wouldn't say they got bag skated on Monday. Like it was not that. 
Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I apologize if my description of it wasn't clear enough. I mean, I was surprised to see a team do lines 55 minutes into a practice, given, you know, that they were 2-0-0 and the vibes in the city were um, through the roof, you know, to have the coach say, you know, <laughs> to, to all the players, earn your sleep and ice time and then have them do lines was, was surprising to me and I thought notable. But, uh, you know, the idea that it was too strenuous a practice doesn't hold water with me either. That's not... That's not right. It wasn't a bag skate. It wasn't like a punishment practice. It was just a fast-paced practice. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't grant any quarter on that. I don't think that's a, a reasonable excuse. And, and again, the deficit in the effort level was far more significant than anything you'd sort of uh, be willing to chalk up to to time zones and, and rest. That said, moving from west to east is always hard. Yeah, like always hard. Move, moving east to west is is less difficult. But, but moving west to east is fundamentally very, very challenging, just given, you know, the havoc it can cause to, to your sleep schedule, how hard it can be to go to bed, um, you know, all of those things. Easy to go to bed when you lose three hours, yeah. much harder when you gain them. And I will say on the practice yesterday, I mean, I don't know that you can kind of have it both ways and as a fan buy into the they need to change their practice habits and they need to like the the culture and the the work level and all of that needs to be completely different but then question like when they're having a tough practice or a slightly harder than normal practice early in the season like that's kind of what Rick Tockett was brought in to do right was to have those types of practice was to keep his foot on the pedal and try to find new levels from these players and look that doesn't mean every decision he's going to make is going to be you know beyond uh, beyond reproach or beyond criticism but again like well isn't this kind of what it looks like if like if you're talking about practice habits better practice habits are going to elevate us like okay you need to be able to practice really hard during the season then at some point yeah and, and just one last thing before we go and i know we're up against it the you know, the the reason that I keep focusing on what I want to see from this team is a little different this year than it has been in years past where I'd be so focused on, you know, the, the, the their control of games and underlying performance and the, the, the typical analytical process indicators. And this year, what I want to see is consistency in the competitive edge that the club has mm. maintained, right? And results, because this team needs to get off to a good start. Like, and, and I mean, over the course of 20 games, I mean, that 25 points in, tw- in the first 20 games marker is stuck into my head ever since we did that in-depth schedule breakdown a couple weeks back. Um, you know, that's what I want to see. Like, I'm evaluating this team a little bit differently than I usually would because of the stakes, because of their posture. Um, and, and, you know, that's sort of why I was so encouraged by the first two games. And I think why fans were too. And I also think it's why the reaction to last night's game felt so dramatic given that it was their first loss of the young season. Uh, We will be back tomorrow to set up in the game in Tampa, which now, you know, again, look, (laughs) it does feel like a bit like we're on the roller coaster, but it feels like a big game, a big response game now uh, for the Canucks to get back on track, respond to what Rick Tockett in particular uh, had to say about the team after that performance in Philly last night. So we'll be on the air tomorrow to get you all set for that game in Tampa. Lots more coming up on the station today. Keep it right here. It is the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.